Hi, welcome back to At The Source, a podcast full of food stories. Thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Alex Ryder. This week, I've got two guests on the show, and that's because we're talking about a pretty heavy topic. I don't know if you've noticed this, but over the last year or so, I've been gobsmacked at the number of influencers and small businesses selling and writing about food from cultures which differ to their own as if they were the authority on them. All whilst making basic errors with ingredients, presentation and more. As far as I'm concerned, at best it's ignorance, at worst it's cultural appropriation. Either way, education has to be the answer and I certainly make sure that when I see things happening, I politely point them out. Usually the person who's made the mistake is thankful and embarrassed, but recently I've heard about and seen a couple of examples flare up. White male egos hurt and quite frankly this has to stop. So today we're talking about Korean food, but this happens with lots of different world cuisines and specifically with Asian cuisines. Korean food is a topic that's close to my own heart because actually my other half, Dave, lived and worked in Seoul and we've traveled the country a little bit and if any of you have looked at my Gingy Bites Instagram and my Gingy Bites blog, you'll know that I absolutely love Korean food. So my guests are Cindy Robert, founder of Korean Pantry. She makes excellent kimchi and runs online cooking classes and actually is a shining example of someone who has fallen in love with a cuisine and does it justice, despite the fact that it's actually not the culture that she grew up with herself. I think where so many are doing it wrong, she's doing it right. And my other guest is Leah Kelly, a food blogger at Korean Kitchen Cardiff and home cook extraordinaire. Her Instagram feed is full of Korean food and it just has me drooling every single day. Hello, ladies. Hi. Hey, hello. Cindy, we're going to start with you. I first discovered your kimchi last year and was blown away by how delicious it is. And now I even get it delivered to my house every month as, as a subscription. So can you tell us a bit about your business? How did you get started? Um, so the Korean pantry is uh, like the home of artisan kimchi made with like high quality Korean ingredients, following traditional technique uh, of fermentation that I learned when I was in Korea a few years ago. And I've always wanted to share all that I learned whilst I was in Korea uh, when I came back. So I also organized cooking classes, uh, like showing people how to make uh, kimchi, of course, but also lots of other dishes. And, and I'm now very excited to be able to showcase here in the UK a very small selection of high quality ingredient that I sourced directly from artisan and family business in South Korea. So this is very new to the business. And uh, yeah, it's the new exciting project for 2021. Yeah. So that's how it started for from my passion of uh, Korean food. I'm sure you will talk about this a bit more. Absolutely. But. I think we've got three people on this podcast who all love Korean food. So it's a good place to be. <laughs> what do you love most about, about running Korean Pantry? Uh, I think it's about sharing the beautiful dishes and the culture that I learned uh, about. So it's not just about the kimchi, it's it's about everything. And it's very rewarding for me uh, because there's many people who still don't know much about Korean food, apart from maybe kimchi, bibimbap, and maybe fried chicken. So I really enjoy sharing different dishes uh, on my Instagram, on my website, and, and talk with people about Korean food. Brilliant. And Leah, as a Korean home cook, the food you post on your Instagram makes my mouth just water. And actually, Cindy, yours does as well. Um, I'm desperate for the pandemic to be over so I can invite myself for dinner. I think I've been hinting for about a year now. <laughs> I know, I know. I could tell. It was it was not subtle, to be honest. <laughs> um, how did you get into blogging? Well, I guess I've been an on and off blogger, like pretty much most people for many years. But um, it's really been since the first lockdown that I kind of thought I needed a hobby and something to really focus on. And I had a lot more time on my hands. So um, I thought I'd just turn my Instagram into a little bit more of a very specific kind of um, in account and also start a blog where I just post my recipes um, just because I thought, you know, 
I don't really see much representation of what real Korean food looks like. Um, the, you know, the type that people just eat at home, uh, family meals and stuff. So I thought I might as well start. Amazing. And who, who taught you to cook that kind of food? I'm pretty sure everyone expects me to say my mum, but actually I grew up and really not interested in cooking. So um, as a teenager, I would just eat my mum's food, um, but had no interest in actually cooking myself. And that changed when um, I moved to um, the UK and um, went to uni, because obviously then I had to cook for myself. And if you're just used to my mum's mm. cooking, which is amazing, you kind of thought, okay, right, so I'm on my own. And if I'm Unless I cook this myself, I won't ever eat it again until I go back and visit my mum again. So um, I had to kind of sort of teach myself and then ask my mum lots of questions. And usually her like ingredients list goes sort of like a little bit of this, a little bit of that and kind of like no measurement whatsoever. <laughs> so I had to like do a lot of um, cooking and learning and just making it taste like my mum's cooking, uh, which is like the indicator for me whether it tastes right or whether I've done something right. Do you think that she's quite pleased that you're now doing all this Korean cooking and, and writing about it? Um, I think so, because sometimes I send her pictures of um, the food I cook and she always asks me, did you cook that? And I'm like, yes, oh. yes, I did cook this. She thinks it's, it's a restaurant because I think it's because of all the filters and everything else. But um, I think it's because she's never seen me actually cooking um, because when I lived at home, I didn't cook. And I learned everything when she wasn't present. So um, I think it's amazing to her that I would even cook random things that most Koreans would get as a takeout because obviously I can't so um, I'd have to just like do it myself and she's just like wow like you know you put all the effort in and stuff so she's always amazed at um, what I cook that's cool Cindy yeah. I'm sure that the listeners have picked up from your accent that you are French <laughs> already <laughs> I guess a question I have is were you nervous to launch a business selling something that is uh, very well-known as a Korean product. So kimchi is hugely important to Korean food and culture. And did that make you nervous that you yourself weren't Korean? Oh, yes, definitely. And I'm still nervous about this. <laughs> uh, yeah, it can be very tricky to want to specialize in a, in a cuisine that is not your own um, cultural heritage. So yeah, it's a, a minefield. Uh, I try my best to be respectful of the dish and the techniques that I learned, the ingredients as well. I, I think I really try my best to research a dish if it's something that I'm not most familiar with. And I'm very, very lucky to have lots of Korean friends who support me and my business. And I can always ask them about things like whether it's the taste or the way I do the recipe. So I'm very lucky. Like for example, for my seasonal kimchi, uh, changing every month. I always get it approved by one of my friends, at least. <laughs> so yeah, first they approve mm -hmm. of the ID. Then if they're lucky, they get to approve the taste. Uh, but it's not been easy for the last few months, of course, with all the, the lockdown and everything. But yeah. And I also watch a lot, a lot of uh, Korean cookie TV shows or programs that showcase like the regional cuisine. So it's always like exciting for me because I get to see new dish and new dishes and they try to reproduce them. Yeah, it's a minefield, but I hope I do it respectfully. <laughs> uh, I think you absolutely do. And, and I know Leah agrees. And I think this is one of the reasons that we wanted to record this podcast tonight is because actually there are people out there who try and either profit off or just misrepresent cuisines from cultures other than their own and what I wanted to do by by talking to you and and letting the listeners hear from you is that actually it can be done right and it often is done right and you are a shining example of that a hundred percent in in my eyes um Thank you. <laughs> so your love of South Korea is obviously clear, even just from the few minutes that we've been talking tonight. And I know that you've spent years immersing yourself in the food and the culture. At what point did you feel that you were ready to sell Korean food and do it justice? 
Uh, well, it has been a long journey for me. Um, that would take us back to 2002, 2003, when I first uh, I was first introduced to Korean food by my best friend when we were just students. So she made me experience the the taste, the flavors of her home country, and I just immediate, immediately loved everything about it. Uh, so I, I guess you can say that one of the first cuisine that I cooked when I left my parents' house was Korean food, not French food. <laughs> so yeah, for years I was just like, you know, reproducing recipes that I would see online or mainly trying to impress my best friend. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and then, then in 2012, I went, I had a chance to go to South Korea and visit her. So we, we traveled across the country. We went to Jeju, we went to like lots of cities in the countryside and this really this trip it opened the for me it opened the window on the authentic taste of kimchi and korean food and it was mind-blowing uh, and yeah clearly my kimchi was yeah didn't compare to what i was suddenly <laughs> trying finally so once i got home i started to experiment more and more uh, but still i knew that the taste was still not there. I think for me, the most important thing is to have the tongue for um, a cuisine. So I needed to go back there and I spent several months uh, on different trips, uh, learning from like fantastic people. And yeah, my friend was great because she was organizing for me lots of workshops and meeting chefs or meeting people working in the food industry, uh, like big companies and stuff. So I, I learned a lot. I ate a lot. <laughs> I can't tell you. Yeah. All the fond memories. Oh, that sounds like the dream. Uh, but yeah. And I, I came back from this trip, uh, like feeling like a bit homesick. Like I had the longing for South Korea that to be honest, I never felt for France and I still don't feel for France. So um, yeah, this, yeah, it's, and then, then I met, yeah, I met uh, a Korean chef who reopened a Korean barbecue restaurant in my neighborhood. So we instantly got along. His kimchi jjigae was tasting exactly like the kimchi jjigae I left in Korea two weeks before that. So I started to work with him, uh, helping him with social media and stuff. And, and a couple of months in, he asked me if I would like to manage the place. So yes, we had a few fun years <laughs> when i say fun you know what i mean it's hard work and stuff but i got to meet so many people introducing many many customers like european customers to their first taste of korea uh it's yeah it was very exciting and of course so many people asking always the same question why is the french girl working a korean <laughs> restaurant what's the story so yeah this story i I did tell the story a lot <laughs> during <laughs> all my years in the in the restaurant, yeah. And I guess then it's just flash forward to 2019 <laughs> when the Korean pantry really started. Um, it's my my dear friend Savi who kind of pushed me into getting back into things after having my baby daughter. So she knew me from my restaurant years uh, where I was also like teaching cooking classes with the head chef so she knew how much I missed teaching and she kind of organized a cooking class and I just had to do it <laughs> so I will be forever thankful to her to kind of push me into it so yeah it started as cooking classes for a few months and then uh, yeah uh, it's my my Korean best friend, the one f the one from uni, <laughs> who who told me that my kimchi was finally ready and I should consider selling it. Our words were more like uh, <laughs> more direct, so it was more like, uh, okay, every time I come to your house, you make Korean food for me. Stop looking for my approval. I know your food is good. You know your food is good. <laughs> my mom knows you know your, your food is good. So please. Sell it. Mm. <laughs> and also I would buy it because I think she said I would buy it because um, I would never be bothered to make it myself <laughs> because kimchi is a lot of work. So, yeah, here you go. Then it was just a question of logistics and the first orders. 
of Kim Chi were sent in November 2019. Yeah. I remember the first time I tried your kimchi, which I think was not long after you'd started. And my, for the listeners, so my other half lived and worked just outside of Seoul for about 18 months. And so I joined this, you know, this relationship with him and he was really in love with Korean food and Korean culture. And then I obviously then got the bug as well. And almost got to the point where having been out there and come home was a little bit snobby about a lot of the kimchi that you can buy in this country. And I know that we're going to talk about that in a little while. And so you sent me a sample of your vegan kimchi and, and we, and it arrived and we opened the box and Dave and I stood there and kind of, he rolled his eyes and said, Oh God, what's this one going to be like? You know, is it going to be vinegary or it just probably got paprika or something in it? And we tried it and we were so chuffed and it was so good. It really was. Thank you. <laughs> Have you ever faced criticism or judgment because you're not Korean? I don't know if that's something that ever happened when you were managing the restaurant, for example. Um, so, yes, it, is. it does worry me. Uh but when I, like I said before, I'm really careful before publishing anything or saying anything. Um, whether it's the restaurant or the, the, the kimchi business, I receive both praise and criticism. <laughs> so, but I think what I'm most grateful for, and I'm trying always to see the positive, I'm, I'm very grateful for uh, when I have like Korean customer who email me after they got their first delivery, a bit like what you said, and, and they tell me how much they enjoy my kimchi. Or like Liat, if I remember right, Leah was the first Korean customer emailing me and telling me that uh, my kimchi reminds her of her mum's one. Yes, I would. that was me. <laughs> and I did screenshot that message and I kept it because, yeah, this kind of encouragement um, with people who are totally unrelated to me. It's not my family. It's not my friends. These encouragements are very special. And, and the support I get also, like when I post on Instagram and yeah, yeah. I, I got a Korean lady who messaged me like uh, last week, I think. Uh, and she was saying that she's hoping that when everything gets a bit better, she will be able to come to one of my class and learn from me. I mean, from me, are you sure? <laughs> I was like, my, my, you know, my self-confidence monster is never too far. So I was like, does she know? Does she know that I'm not Korean? Should I tell her in case she doesn't know? And I kept, I, I started to kind of panic. Like, what should I say that make her understand that? Did you get that I'm not Korean? <laughs> but yeah, she knew. She knew. And she told me that just by looking at the picture and reading my words, that she knew my food was delicious and as authentic as as, mm-hmm. as I mm-hmm. can make it. Yeah, amazing. Leah, you've been really quiet. So that's all right. <laughs> I'm talking too much. <laughs> no, it's usually me talking too much. So um yeah, I wanted to talk to you about the the rise in popularity for Korean food that I think has been probably happening for the last couple of years. And there are a lot of people selling what they call kimchi, and I'm doing air quotes here. How how does it make you feel when you see people selling bad examples of, of kimchi? You know what? It doesn't even register because, um, to be honest, I've seen what people call kimchi in supermarkets. And that's kind of like the first red flag because I haven't seen one major supermarket sell good kimchi. And um, it, But it doesn't faze me because I just look at it and I already know that that isn't kimchi and it has the name on it, it's on the label. And I feel like sometimes we should trademark it like, um, like champagne, mm. <laughs> um, you know, um, because... There are, I, I just look at the ingredients usually, and this is with kimchi as well as some other Korean dishes that apparently you can get um, in major supermarkets. I just look at the ingredients list and I already know that it's not kimchi and it won't taste like it. It kind of makes me feel sad because um, it's not even, I don't even feel angry about it. I just, I just feel really sad because the people who will go and buy that because it's accessible to them um, and they've heard about it and they're curious might get a really bad impression what kimchi is. 
because um, they'll taste it and it'll taste, like I said, too vinegary, sometimes maybe probably too sweet or, you know, or it will, won't have the kick yeah, and it definitely. won't just be fermented cabbage really um, or pickled. And um, it makes me think, oh, well, you know, these people might think, oh, kimchi doesn't taste great. So uh, that's the last of my um, adventurous choosing of Korean food. And um, it just makes me sad because um, it's not really representative at all about what kimchi actually tastes like or what kimchi is because most people think it's it's just a cabbage but there's yeah. a million varieties of kimchi and um you know most people just know the cabbage one but there's just so many different kinds um and cindy does um loads of them in her shop which i absolutely love because i'm a subscriber so every month i'm like what's the what's the limited edition what's this so i'm <laughs> surprised i'm always so chuffed because i get to taste things that i wouldn't normally be able to buy so um, that's why I'm really, really like happy that um, Korean pantry exists. <laughs> I think that's a really good point that you raised. And I actually hadn't thought about it that way. And perhaps I was coming at it from too negative an opinion that people are selling this food and calling it Korean or calling it kimchi when actually it's not. But you're right. What what these brands are doing is actually doing a disservice to what kimchi is. And actually, you're right, could be putting people off from trying trying more of the food. And that's that accounts for all sorts of cuisines. You know, we're talking about kimchi and Korean food tonight, but we could easily be talking about Vietnamese food, Thai food, yeah. French food. Yes. It just happens that to be that we're talking about Korean food this evening. What are the worst examples that you've seen? Um, I think uh, <laughs> the worst example. <laughs> Cindy's laughing. <laughs> I have a few. Yeah. I've seen some um, ones that I don't even know what the color was. I think it was green. Oh, yeah. And I... Yeah, I, I think I yeah. know this one. <laughs> I think like sometimes people tag me in these sort of things. Um, and I'm like, should I rise to it? Should I say something? <laughs> I was like, Ugh, it's just it's just too much. Like, um, And then I've seen some... They sell for like quite a lot of money in certain supermarkets and they're really, really pale. And I don't think they're meant to be pale. And like you said, um, sometimes you see paprika in the ingredients list. I'm like, why? Yeah. Why? It's, it's the same color as a uh, kochukaru, but it's not the same. Yeah. It's like having ketchup yeah. um, and replacing that with, I don't know, like just pure tomato paste or something. It's two different things. It's just, um, yeah, it's just really, really weird. And um, it makes me laugh more than anything because <laughs> it's the sort of stuff that um, people eat. And I also don't understand how they eat it because it's a side dish. So you eat it with rice. So I do wonder whether people open this and let you just eat the jar <laughs> and they don't really know how to eat it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for me, it's okay. It's, it's tricky because it's not really a good look if I start to dish on other brands, is it? <laughs> but yeah, I've seen, I mean, in the name of market research, I've tried some pretty awful stuff. Uh, I had kimchi with turmeric, with chipotle, with sriracha, with pickled, dried, oh um, pickled ginger, you know, the one you have... Um, with sushi. sushi ginger, yeah. the pink, the pink stuff. Yeah, I have more. I have, I have oh with dill. Dill, okay. Oh my god! Uh, and coriander. I mean, if uh, unless we wanted to oh make a god. bad joke, I mean, Korean coriander. I don't know. I don't get it. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> or vinegar. Yeah, sometimes we had vinegar. I don't know why. I mean, I know why we had vinegar, but uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, like you said, there's many types of kimchi and like as many types of kimchi as there are cooks, but uh, there are some busy things like the spice you use, technique, because sometimes you see like sauerkraut, this guy does kimchi. Mm. <laughs> uh, and again, it's not the same process of fermentation. For sauerkraut, you just like, you shred the cabbage, you mix with salt, you pack in the jar and you let it to ferment. For kimchi, you salt the veg, but then you rinse, you take out the excess mm. salt and then you add your seasoning and the extra like uh, spring onion and other stuff you want to put. But you and, and then the times of fermentation, sauerkraut needs days and days and days at room temperature. Kimchi needs just maybe one to three days, depending depending how hot, hot spicy. the weather <laughs> is. Sorry. <laughs> uh, so, and then refrigeration, weather like, it's just like, I don't know. Why? Why do this? <laughs> yeah, it's not the same thing. It's, it's not the same thing. Exactly. It's similar, but it's it's different. So and I know kimchi is trendy, has become very trendy. And but I don't know if 
if you want to do something like this, you, sh you need to put the effort and learn. And I'm not saying spend 10 years like me doing bad kimchi <laughs> before finally changing your ingredient and finally understanding. <laughs> and there's way of learning quicker than I did, I'm sure. But still, you have to put the effort and not just like take a recipe online and think you can sell kimchi in glass jar and no. Yeah. So that leads really nicely into a question actually for Leah. So this is something that we've talked about before because we've definitely had a few Instagram rants uh, before now, but how does it make you feel when Instagrammers and businesses share photos or profit from dishes that they're calling Korean when they're actually not at all Korean? Um, I guess um, I feel differently when it's businesses and if it's Instagrammers doing it. So um obviously with the businesses that's kind of like easy one to point out an easy one to say that they are very much profiting um you know with with money off korean culture and korean food uh, without really necessarily giving anything back so um often um there aren't many businesses that specialize in just korean food i have seen you know and do it super super badly um but i do see a lot of restaurants just jumping on the bandwagon of mostly Asian food, but then obviously at the moment it is um, Korean food that's really trendy and that's the buzzword yeah. that everyone is after. I'm sure that will pass and then they'll soon be after a different cuisine, but um, at the moment it's Korean. And um, when they usually have a Korean dish, it's your usual suspects, which is bibimbap, Korean fried chicken, you know, and at best they might have a sort of kimbap, but it's probably more, more sushi yeah. than it is kimbap. But, um, you know, often they are very lazy and I have seen it in menus before where they just slap kimchi on a burger and call it a Korean burger. Uh -huh. That's kind of like, I guess, their way of like adding the buzzword almost uh, to their menu, but not actually ha needing to do any research or putting any effort into what actually Korean food is. So um, there's that. And, um, you know, I feel like I don't think many people will think that some kimchi on a burger equals authentic Korean cuisine. But it does annoy me when they post it and call it a Korean whatever it is and hashtag it and um, and say, this is new on the menu. And then everyone's like, yay, I'm, I'm loving it. It's Korean food and stuff. Um, it does annoy me. And it's clear that what they're doing is definitely just, um, you know, benefiting of Korean food and culture without paying proper respect. They just want to make a quick buck. And to be honest, it's a business, so I can see why they're doing it. And, um, you know, I think the worst is when they want to kind of show it as authentic and when it isn't. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I've seen like loopholes where they say things like Korean inspired or, you know, Korean style. And I don't really know what that means because if it's inspired, then um, I don't know, like what, who inspired you? What was the dish that inspired you? Uh, what's the style? Is it adding gochujang to something? And then and that's that's Korean for you? You know, it's just, um. so, you know, there's, there's that and... Um, I don't usually go to businesses who do that or, or never order the Korean, I don't know, chicken lollipop or whatever <laughs> you see on starter menus. But what I found a lot harder to criticize is when Instagrammers do this because um, unless you monetize your content, they don't really make money off it. So you could say, well, you know, they're just cooks, they're food blogs or whatever. And I get that. And um, I think there is, there's a difference there's a difference in like the type of Instagram you see. And you see the people who are genuinely interested in Korean food and who experiment and, you know, they bought gochujang. They don't quite know what to do with it. And they want to try and they want to learn. And that's that's absolutely fine. And if you're a home cook, then you should be creative and you should be doing something that you love and that you really enjoy. But then there's other ones. And those are the ones that really annoy me. They have absolutely no interest in Korean cuisine, the culture, the food, the history um, or the people, really. Um, all they want is, um, you know, the likes. Yeah, the numbers. And you get that through hashtagging it, Korean food and, you know, all of that stuff. And they know that these pictures, especially, and it's not just Korean food, it's a lot of food, Chinese food, Thai food, everything, Asian food as, a, as an umbrella. They know that it gets the likes because it's different, you know, 
how many times can you post your, I don't know, cottage pie and get it likes. But when you have a noodle <laughs> pull with exciting colors in it, people will like it and they know that. So they are sort of, it's not monetizing, but it's definitely profiting off a different culture. They know it's not authentic because, um, you know, where did they get the recipe from? Um, or they just make it up and they call it Korean. You know, I don't really know, but um, I've seen people literally posting recipes for Korean food and I just don't know where that got that from because um, they don't credit their sources. They don't say who they um, get the ideas from. All they say is that this is my recipe. And I'm like, did you grow up with this? Did your mum cook this for you? Like, that seems strange. Yeah. Um, but, and you know, it's that's just um, the way Instagram works. Um, it's whatever gets the most likes. And if if the most likes is a glass of water, people will be starting p- posting pictures of water, you know? <laughs> so, um, yeah, you know, it does annoy me. And we do rant about this quite a lot. But um, I try to educate people. <laughs> and it sometimes goes down well. Other times it doesn't. And often it um, elicits very defensive responses Definitely. and stuff. And um, that's when I'm like, I'm kind of stepping away from it because... I've got too much going on to be arguing on on the internet about whether something is or isn't Korean or whether they're allowed to use Korean hashtags or whatever it is. The defensive side of it is what winds me up. And and you're right, you know, mm. it, you have to choose your battles for sure. Uh, and I have a friend, a friend of mine who's from Hong Kong is really passionate about this. And and I think between us and, and with you as well, Leah, we quite often not call people out, but just be- perhaps send them a, a DM and just say, look, did you know that that what you've done there is actually quite disrespectful or why are you calling this Thai when it's very clearly not? And and most of the time people will come back and say, oh my God, I didn't realise, I, I didn't, I'm so sorry, I, I just didn't think. And that's fine. It's when people get defensive and say, well, actually, you know, I, I'm doing this, it's my thing. And, and then that's when, that's when it pisses me off. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. It's the sort of weird ownership of it. And they're kind of thinking, well, well, just because you are from Korea or whatever, doesn't mean that only you're allowed to cook it. And I don't think anyone argues about that. But if they kind of take away the the people and the culture and everything else and just take the food, you strip the food off its soul and you, you kind of like, you know, have an empty vessel that you use and you fill that with your own ideas. And sometimes I feel like people really do believe they're experts in it because they've read three blog posts about how to cook it and they have um, no idea about the cultural context of certain dishes or what it means and um, because they, they don't care all they want to do is post about it be seen as an expert and get all the likes yeah yeah and that's that's the thing isn't it is that really the heart of this episode is that we're not saying that if you're not from a culture, you can't experiment, you can't cook, you can't become an expert in that culture but what we're saying is that it has to be done with respect and it has to be done with with love and care and attention. We're talking about two very different things here. One thing you did mention, Leah, which I wanted to pick up on is, is the fact that it's great to experiment and you see people, yes, perhaps someone's bought... Um, I don't know, they've bought a, a bag of gochugaru and they're not quite sure what to do with it or they've got some gochujang in their fridge. And actually experimenting and trying things out at home is is a really fantastic way to learn how to use different ingredients. And I'm talking to two people who've got quite good fusion opportunities here. So Cindy, with your French background and Leah, with your German and Korean heritage, I wondered whether either, either of you do have any kind of cool fusion dishes that you've come up with. Um, I'm, I'm not sure it's really about a fusion dish, but uh, I do like cheese and kimchi as a combo. <laughs> so it's a thing in Korea. They put a lot of cheese, like melting cheese into like bibimbap or braised dishes. Uh, it's good to tame the hot spice. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think what I really like to have is like a simple cheese platter with a selection of like hard and soft cheese, blue ones, uh, and vegan ones, milk-based ones, and try and see how they mix with kimchi, like different type of kimchi as well, like the regular um, uh, kimchi, the, the white or the crunchy kaktuki. So I like a creamy blue, like gorgonzola, <laughs> with, uh, yeah, with really fermented spicy kimchi. 
or, or maybe a cheese, a cheese more mild in taste. And uh, I would get a white kimchi or a crunchy radish kimchi to go with it. So it's, it's not really a fusion dish. It's more like a, a fusion experience. <laughs> That sounds really good. And and I quite often have cheese and kimchi toasties at home, actually, for, for my lunch. A good kind of spicy old kimchi with some mature cheddar is is pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. A cheese, like a, like a, a cheese toastie. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Making me hungry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. How about you, Leah? It's weird because um, I don't really cook many German dishes at home, partly because when I obviously lived in Germany, my mom would mostly cook Korean food um, and she would like cook some German dishes and stuff that I quite like. But um, the one thing I and my mom used to do this as well, and I feel like maybe it's a Korean thing is and it's very similar to the whole like kimchi and cheese board sort of like um combination is using kimchi as a chaser to things so um i really like bratkartoffel which are which are um, sliced potatoes um fried with bacon onion and usually with a fried egg on top sounds really good (laughs) it's really nice you can really imagine it right now can't you yeah um, (laughs) but it's really rich so um it's the fried potatoes that's the egg yolk and everything else and what i love having on the side is some kimchi yeah. or cornichon, just like something sharp to cut through to, the, um, cut to through the grease, yeah. Exactly. And and um, I think it's it's it must be something to do with, and that's, this is my own theory, I just made it up, by the way. I think it's to do with Korean food being very balanced. Um, I find everything in on a Korean like, dinner table is balanced in terms of yeah. sweet, spicy, you know, like salty and umami. And it's all kind of like balanced in a way that you each mouthful, you have something different and you don't get bored of your food because it's not the same um, constantly over and over. And kimchi is a great balance of these things when you have really rich food, which is why, um, you know, anything sort of spicy and vinegary goes really well with sort of fried food, which is why if you have, um, you know, fried chicken and you have the buffalo sauce that's quite vinegary and tangy, that's why it's such a great combination. Um, so, you know, I usually try and balance some German and Western food by having, you know, something sharper on the side, um, if it is kimchi or something else that I've got. But yeah, that's kind of like my weird random fusion things I guess I'm doing other than that you know sauerkraut kimchi I'm kind of like from two countries where they love fermenting and pickling cabbage um I never really thought of that I was like oh god yeah like they're really well known for their cabbages yeah oh fantastic you know the, the the balance of thing that you you talk about. This is uh, when I first went uh, to Korea. This is what impressed me the most. So I was discovering so many dishes, uh, uh, meat dishes, but also so many veg dishes. And my friend was always explaining me, okay today we are eating this. So if you eat this, you need that as mm-hmm. a side because it's the combination because they will balance in your body, balance the flavors, but also play, uh, balance the, the health benefit or counteract the not so healthy uh, impact of some food. So that is something that I think we have totally lost in Western cuisine, if we ever had that. Um, and that's something I really want to... Yeah, to bring also to people here because healthy eating uh, for me is not about drinking green juice. Uh, yeah, drinking green juice. It's yeah, the balance. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, I just I just love balancing the fried stuff with some healthy uh, zingy things and stuff. Um, but yes, it's it's a great cuisine for that. And um, you know, whenever you have rice, you usually have soup or something liquid because that's how that's you know it helps you eat the food uh, rather than having just water on the side. But um, yeah, if you ever have like a if you ever see a Korean dinner table, you will see how each of the dishes balance each other out. So you kind of feel like it's a really rounded meal. I wonder if that is actually the point of banchan. So for the listeners who don't know. If- when you have a Korean meal, you'll have lots of little bowls of different things to go with whatever that main element is, whether it's a, a stew or, or whatever it is that you're eating. I wonder if that's what the purpose of banchan is. I, I don't know. It just kind of dawned on me whilst whilst you were talking, Leah. 
I think, um, you know, the base of every Korean meal or most Korean meals is rice. And, and, you know, I love rice just on its own, but it is quite bland. So um, the banchan are often quite salty. And um, that's what, it's because they're not really meant to be eaten on their own. Um, so if, you know, if everyone, if anyone has bought kimchi and just eats them, like fair <laughs> enough, I do that sometimes as well. But it's meant to be eaten with something slightly blander like rice. And um, the banchan is kind of like almost like a seasoning to your rice. Um, but then, you know, if you've ever seen Koreans eat, they like putting things into things as well, on top of things, you know, wrapped in things and stuff, and just like com- combining everything, also dipping whatever you've got into something else. So like, it's very much a, let's mix all of our different foods together to have the best, like, you know, best bite, so to say. And that's kind of what, what Korean food food really is. So like, if everyone, if anyone's really curious what banchan is and stuff, you know, just seek it out because it's, really exciting and it's just like tapas with so many different dishes like it's re- it's insane it's ridiculous because i'm <laughs> from Jeonju and they're very famous for having a massive table full of so many dishes and and yes there's a lot of dishes to wash um afterwards um and i'm so glad that i've got a dishwasher <laughs> now i'm so excited because um, my mom used to wash everything by hand and even though she had a dishwasher she, she still washed everything by hand and um you know it's that's that's the that's kind of like the yin and the yang of like amazing dishes, lots of them and lots of uh, dishes to wash up. Yeah. And also, like you said, lots of them. So you don't, I mean, here you have a side of spinach and you will eat potatoes, fish and lots of spinach. But banchan is different. You will have a little bit of spinach, a little bit of this um candied uh, anchovy you will have the bean sprout you you have a little bit of everything instead of having like one or two side so it's always exciting to have the the korean babsang in front of you all the dishes you know what i think i now know why i over order a takeaway (laughs) yes just have the realization I can't decide. I need a bit of this, a bit of that. Because I can't just choose, like, who orders a takeaway and one main meal for themselves? <laughs> like, I find that really <laughs> offensive. Because I'm like, so you're just going to eat that one dish? Like, no, wow, what's, what's the point of ordering takeaway? That's why when I order a takeaway, I have so many different dishes. I feel like sometimes they put so much cutlery in there. And I'm like, it is just the two of us. <laughs> <laughs> just pretend, pretend that there's more of you. I'm the buffet queen. So, you know, so my dream meal is a buffet because mm. I'm exactly the same. I can't decide. So maybe that's another reason why I love Korean food so much. I want my table to be heaving in all of these different things to try. Uh, why are we recording this before I've had my dinner? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> what have I done? Right. We've just talked a little bit about some of the the food that makes up Korean cuisine. And actually a lot of what's sold in the UK is as Cindy mentioned earlier, limited to bibimbap, fried chicken, maybe budejige. What dishes should people listening to this podcast be seeking out to get a real taste of of Korean food at home, family food? For me, I would say whether you're cooking or you're going to a restaurant soon, soon, <laughs> uh, I would say go for stews or maybe braised, braised dishes. Um so if there is a few of you, maybe try to have a jungle, which is like a, a big communal stew soup. I think there's something special about sharing the same dish all together. Or maybe kimchi mandu jungle. So like a, a soup with a, a kimchi stew with lots of dumplings inside. Or, or maybe bulgogi jungle if you feel not spicy. And for the braised dishes, I would say dak toritang or kalbi jim, which are like a dish made with like a main protein, beef, chicken, and lots of veg like carrots, onion, radish, potatoes. I think for me, kalbi jim is a bit to Korean food what uh, buff carrot or pot au feu are to French food. So dish that are really dishes that are really like healthy, filling, comforting, made yeah made with love by mum. I would say. <laughs> 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 I think I agree that um, I feel like with Korean food, the real MVP is the stew or the soup, because that is the 
bit that is communal and I know that might freak some people out who are just used to having their own dish but Korean food is about sharing and um, that's really really important Um, you know part of the culture is having lots of dishes that you share with each other and it's only like few dishes that you would have just on your own Um, usually it's the rice and maybe if it's like specifically like cook which is soup um you might have your own bowl but often it is just a shared experience and um one of the one of the best things about korean food is that don't waste anything so if you ever go to a korean restaurant and they have something like a stir fry uh takgalbi or something where it's a communal thing with lots of sauce and the meat and if it's fried in front of you and you eat the meats and you eat the veg and stuff in it what a good korean restaurant should do is then offer you rice afterwards um so when there's a bit of um, leftover sauce they should put the rice in and fry it in that sauce and then you have your second meal of rice um of fried rice and it's amazing and that's i feel like that is one of the most korean experiences you could have and if you can seek that out uh, wherever you are i think that absolutely i would recommend my husband bless him he didn't realize that there might be a second course of rice. So he ate a lot of the duck stew that my mum made and a lot of the rice. And then he was gobsmacked <laughs> when he then put all of the rice um, in the in the pot and fried it. And he's oh like, what's going on? And I'm like, oh, it's, the, it's the rice course. We fry the rice in the sauce. And he had to like, enjoy, he said he's never been in his life as full as after that stew. And I was like, oh, okay, well, sorry, I sh- probably should have warned you. But um, this is how Korea eat that just keep on going until it's all gone (laughs) (laughs) i I see myself in this Uh, me and my husband 10 years ago first trip in korea first restaurant experience and we were so full and they kept bringing more and more and and the (laughs) rice at the end to make the bukumbap and yeah I'm going to end on quite a, a a difficult question, but I think an important question. And again, we're talking about Korean food tonight, but this does apply to, uh, I think, particularly Asian, but, but all foods. So how do we make sure that we're being respectful to other cultures when we're cooking their cuisines? And when it comes to businesses, how do we know the difference between respect and someone who's looking to make a quick profit off a food trend? I feel like Cindy is the epitome and the perfect example of how you can do it respectfully and do it right. Um, someone who has a lot of passion and love for a cuisine really done the research, really done the learning and the testing. And also like um, quite often for it sounds, it sounds like uh, Cindy, you've done a lot of research yourself from like people and getting their opinions and stuff and making sure that, you know, they feel like, you know, you have done Korean food justice. And that's the sort of thing that is almost going uh, above and beyond mm. what I might expect someone to do. So, um, you know, there are really respectful ways you can do that. But if um, you know, I can, I guess, give any sort of advice to people who might not be businesses, just, you know, people who are just curious about the food is just seek out the right sources. Um, the best way for you to learn about a cuisine that you're curious about is go to the people who live it and have experienced it because they will give you the context and um, give you all really, really good cooking tips to make your dish as authentic as it can be. Because if you start going to your faves, so like if you just go to the top, you know, search result in Google and just go straight to, you know, the website you always uh, known and, you know, and get the recipe from there, it's, it's likely to be not very authentic. And I know it's a safe option because you're familiar with it, but you can dig deeper and you can look for the authentic sources, because that's where you will do Korean food justice. Um, and so that's kind of how you as a person can take some control over it um, and not just like going to, you know, the usual suspect to um, make some food. And for businesses, I guess I always find it weird when someone who isn't Asian opens an Asian restaurant. And, you know, because of my experiences with so many who just want to make a quick buck, I'm always very skeptical. I do give them benefit of doubt because I don't know what their experiences are. And um, I usually make some research, do some research, um, look at them. And if I feel like, wow, it does sound like they are being very responsible respectful and all of the dishes look very authentic. I mean, who am I to judge um, until I, I've tried it? But it's very easy for me, at least, to spot that, whether something is authentic or not, just by the way it's described. And often it's using the Korean words for it because it's weird, like um, often Korean 
names for dishes aren't used. And I think partly because they are quite weird to people, like there's usually double letters and, and they're quite long and they might be, you know, weird and awkward to pronounce. But, um, but we can make room for lots of other dishes and we use their names. If we can say croissant and use that name, we should be using, you know, yangnyum chicken, which is what the Korean fried chicken is that everyone eats. It's not just Korean fried chicken, it's yangnyum chicken. That's, it has a specific name. So I feel like um, if you can see that they've actually used the Korean names, that's a really good spot, first of all. Um, and then second of all, if you do seek it out from businesses that you, you know are run by the people and you know what it tastes like, eventually you will develop a taste. You will know what it should taste like. And um, when you then taste something that is not quite quite right, you will know. So um, if you have a business and you're really curious and you want to start, I would say, you know, do your research and, and go and there's absolutely nothing wrong with going to the source saying you don't really know and learning from it and making mistakes is okay as well. Um, I think it's, it, you know, just I think if you just look a bit closer and a bit behind the curtains, you will very quickly know whether someone is genuine or not, or whether it's just a business trying to make a profit, which is often done through fried chicken, apparently. Brilliant advice. Cindy, do you have anything to add? No, I, I think she really, she said it yeah. so well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, do the research, talk to the people, experiment. And, and then, yeah, maybe share, <laughs> maybe. Cindy, how can listeners get their hands on your kimchi? Oh, uh, well, they can follow me on Instagram uh, at, uh, at Korean Pantry or they can visit www.koreanpantry.co.uk and hopefully they will find what they are looking for on the website and they can email me, DM me. I'm there. Fab. <laughs> and Leah, what about your blog? My blog is koreankitchencardiff.com because I live in Cardiff and I have a Korean kitchen in Cardiff. <laughs> also, if any business out there wants to collaborate with me and have the authentic Korean voice, I'm open. <laughs> <laughs> and if you just want some advice, like I am happy to give that. Um, but no, jokes aside, um, you know. It was really lovely um, talking about this on this podcast and um, talking a little bit more about Korean cuisine with two people I know, really passionate about it, really knowledgeable about it. So, yeah, I really enjoyed this. Um, yeah, me too. Thank you. Thank you. I think we are out of time. But it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you both. And uh, I'm already looking forward to my next month's subscription of Kimchi because, Cindy, I've finished it all. <laughs> the white kimchi this wow. month was fantastic. I actually just drank the juice out of the bag. Yes. You have to. You have to That's do it. The way. It's good for yeah, your head. Exactly. Exactly. No, it's fab. Thank you both so much. It's been absolutely brilliant. And on the show notes that go along with this episode, I will make sure that all the links are included and and perhaps put some suggestions of some of those authentic sources that people can look to for recipes beyond Leah's and Cindy's, of course. Um, just don't Google Korean recipes by Jamie Oliver. That's that's all I'm asking you to do. <laughs> <laughs> and I think we'll uh, we'll leave it there. <laughs> Thank you both. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Alex. Thank you, Dia. Now let's go and cook some Korean food. 